0: Welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Eduardo Garcia, is an American celebrity chef and the co founder of Montana Mex. He's known to the world as the bionic chef because he cooks with a prosthetic left arm. We're going to talk about that journey, his business, Montana Mex, and his love for helping people learn about good food and enjoying the unity of sharing a meal. Eduardo Garcia, welcome, my friend. As always, you are in my heart.
1: Uh, Heather, I know it and I appreciate it. I'm so grateful for this opportunity and hello to everyone else who's tuning in. Uh, What a treat it is to be heard and in your heart.
0: So let's start with your early life. okay? so, you know, Born, you know, to a Mexican uh, chef and, and, and fisherman, your dad was, you followed in his footsteps a little bit, right, in the cooking world. And your mom was a teacher, a school teacher, and also an astrologer, right? You know, tell me a little bit about your early life in Bozeman, Montana, and how it all began for you.
1: I was actually born in Van Nuys, California, 1981. And the spiritual community that my mother raised us in started a migration from Southern California to Montana. Purchased 10,000 acres right on the border of Yellowstone National Park. Yet, I feel like the way I remember my life is that I have a memory of those first six years and it's hot sidewalks in the summer, a pool in the backyard, an apricot tree above my sand pit. I still love apricots and the beach, but that's the Knott's Berry farm. Maybe. Yeah. That's my California Ashkosh Bagasho. over, I was like, that's my memory of life pre Montana. And so really 1986, the community buys land and everyone starts moving with the spiritual center to Montana when the new property and my mom loads up the Toyota Corolla throws the three kids in it. Um, and and we drive North and, and I should say just to preface too, that my father left to return to Mexico when we were three months old. And so, you know, that journey that our family took was, you know, a single parent journey. It was my mom driving, probably big sister up front, all of our gear. And all I remember about it was I rode in the back, it was a hatchback white Corolla and I was on top of our luggage, like body surfing in the back, the whole way up. (laughs) And, you know, so I would say, I always tell people, Heather, that I was born in California and I feel like I am Montana made.
0: So you get to Bozeman and, you know, listen, you just know right away, you start your life and something we share in common and that's our love of the outdoors. So... You know, Mm -hmm. did your dad get you into hunting? You know, you're an avid outdoorsman and hunter, and, you know, you enjoy hiking, and obviously you brought some California back with you because you weren't doing much surfing in Bozeman, but Mm -hmm. skateboarding and all that kind of stuff. So you, tell me a little bit about your love for the outdoors, because it really is a pinnacle of who you are.
1: I'd like to think that there's some, some, some kind of mojo that was passed on to me through both parents just by simply, I am from them. You know, I am of their beings, right? I am—I am this m- complex parts of, you know, a Jewish American mother and a Caribbean island fisherman father, right? And and they mix. I always tell everybody, we're matzo burritos. You know, we're just this mix, right? <laughs> I
2: love
1: it. And and uh, and yet the outdoors, although my father spent his entire life connected to nature in a way that was probably way much deeper than mine, even naturally in montana as a young child where there was maybe no movie theater within walking distance or biking distance you know it was 40 miles away and and yet campfire and stars above was its own form of a light show um its own form of an amusement park maybe the creek and a little bit of a muddy bank that goes down to the creek and we would bring water up there and make it slick and now we had a water slide and and so The love of the outdoors was a natural byproduct, I think, of simply growing up with a neighborhood of wild plants and animals, right, versus man-made buildings and um, communities. I mean, we had where we lived, but outside of those few homes was the Gallatin National Forest, the yeah, Absaroka right. Beartooth National Forest, Yellowstone Park. And, and that's what we came to play in. And then naturally, therefore, the environment dictates the culture. And so Boy Scouts was a great babysitting mechanism for my mom, I think. It was yeah. a great daycare program. And then, of course, it taught us, being my friends and our, uh, my twin brother, and that it, t- it was also a Boy Scout, great life skills. Yeah. And 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 one and then you grow up and you realize that you, you're still this outdoorsman. You, you know, you've stuck with what you love and 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 you know, I'm grateful to now recognize that it is simply a part of my fabric professionally, personally, socially, environmentally. Um, I I try to live as connected to nature as possible because of how much I do love it.
0: We are connected to nature and you've said it yourself, like it was part of your existence growing up in Montana and it therefore became a part of you. And until you left it, and it removed, then you realize how much you miss it. You realize how much it is a part of you. So when did you realize you wanted to be a chef? I know you were offered your first chefing job in college and we'll talk about your experience on yachts and things like that. But when did you know that you wanted to be a chef?
1: I don't know if I ever wanted to be a chef. Oh. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I think just to... I I love these conversations because they invite uh, exploration into subject matter that we think we have dialed, but we change every day and our perspective changes and experiences sort of inspire us to maybe question, is that how it was? Or to share my journey with food, I guess. Um, It starts starts really young. It starts being eleven, nine, and kind of being left to our own devices. There were a lot of homes um, where parents were working and kids had all this room to run outside and then you get hungry. And so, you know, you, you, you roast a trout over a fire because you went fishing and you're nine or you want French fries, but no parent is going to take you all the way over to the burger shack, like across the Valley. I mean, it's not across town. It's not a block away. It's 15 miles across a Valley to get to the nearest place where you could actually order a burger and fries. And and so then one day you find yourself cutting potatoes, you know, and, and you have a skillet on the stove and there's oil in the cabinet. We weren't looking at what kind of oil we didn't know temperatures. I mean, right. And so that, that's how I found food was just being hungry and recognizing one plus one equals two. I, I, I cooked all the way through my high school years and my senior year, I found myself really making a decision, which was, I was a, total outdoor junkie. I I would rock climb, fly fish, hike, bike. You know, it was me and a pair of Birkenstocks gone. (laughs) Just out. If I wasn't working and I wasn't at home sleeping, I was out. On the one hand, I could go play. And on the other hand, I could stay purpose driven and continue to stay in this food Um, industry. And I knew about cooking school. I knew I could go get a degree. And so I just, all right, let's go to cooking school. Let's do that. And, you know, it was really through graduating cooking school and then starting my career as a yacht chef and traveling the world. That's where I fell. That's where I fell in love with food.
0: Incredible. And such self-awareness to know your journey and know that you had to police yourself, so to speak, because when you did that, You opened a whole new life for yourself that you didn't even know at that moment, what it was going to be. I mean, forget about being an outdoorsman, you became world traveled, you know, yachting, you went around the world, you learned about different, different ethnic cuisines from, from the yachting experience. And please don't let me rush you through it. You know, I know that you worked for a decade on various private yachts. So if you want to share something about that experience,
1: yeah, yachting was. I tried convincing everybody I went to school with that I was in touch with, even early on, I, you know, maybe a year into being a yacht chef, I recognized how unique it was. Pinch me unique. I'm getting paid to shop in markets around the world and, and play, wake up in new ports of call. And one day you're in Turkey, and the next day you're in Greece, the next day you're in Italy. And wow, wow, yeah. wow right? Wow. Just drink it. In and uh, just so I feel very fortunate to have spent my 20s doing that. And and yet, like I mentioned, at 25, I had an experience with a, um, a crew member whose family, who had a family member pass away, woke up to the email, right? I mean, because that's, mm-hmm. that's what you had on the yacht at that time. And yeah, and, and there's no real recourse for that. You cannot just simply exit you know, you're yeah. in a full-time committed job in the middle of somewhere and um, a lot of crew members lived around the world. And so just, and I remember coming to terms with my position in that team of what can I do to help? And it was very, it was not dissimilar from how I think as, as who I am. And yet my focus on the boat, it was a chef, right? It was cooking, cooking, production, meals on time, pretty tasty and, and then this moment comes in
2: and it's like,
1: you know, I felt such a loss to know how to support her. And it occurs to me that, well, the time is kick- kicking and crew meals do any minute now. And well, I've worked at Shannon for two years. I bet she'd want this meal. So why don't I make something that may bring her joy? And so I make the lunch, but it's, I'm thinking of her, right? I'm thinking of her the whole time. And and I kind of witnessed a little bit of a bump on the radar up, you know, like, and I think, okay. And I think I just noticed her grief and, and the, the indescribable pain she must have been in simply elevate to just the side of tolerable, right? Like just enough right. to make it through. Yeah. And others were, so that that was the moment where I just thought, wow, food is not just a perfect steak. Food is in fact, this incredibly powerful connection with another person.
0: So you started Montana, Montana Max, and you know, it was explorer territory. It was fun, it was simple, you know, always influenced by the local environment, which I'm sure you took from your travels and things like that. And then everything kind of took a turn.
1: Yeah, no, I I remember it crystal clear. I, you know, I had just wrapped up the decade on the boat. Um, I was taking a day off. I was hunting. You know, when you're hunting, you're very focused on the world around you, and and so I, it's it's not as if I was, you know, wandering kind of willy nilly. You know, we live in grizzly bear country. There's not to mention there's loose stones and holes. I mean, the wild. I go into the wild because it has me on my game and on my point, and and that's why I like to be out in nature. Is it makes me feel more alive and less dormant. And, um, in seeing that dead bear, it, you know, it just, I know there's many people wondering, so I'd like to frame this out, but really it was the remains of a baby black bear that had been passed for quite some time. So what I saw was kind of a tussle of fur, some bones and some small claws, some small little Brown claws, coffee, coffee and cream colored claws. And I was raised in that natural way as a boy scout. And so in my mind, naturally, I love education. I love learning. I'm insatiably curious. And so when I see that, I think, oh, I'll collect a specimen because this will go into my shelf that anyone from an adult to a young child would have the ability to ask. And we could talk about anything in my home it, you know, to teach them oh, it's petrified wood and this is how it happened. And so that's where I'm going with it. Right. And I go to just, I, so I, I go to take a cloth, I take a knife out, I put it in my left hand, I lean down. And before I know it, I'm, um, you know, my brain feels like there's a hot air dryer on the back of my neck and I'm plugged into a sound check at a major stadium concert frequency going haywire. I mean, that's what it feels like to be electrocuted at 2,400 volts. Wow. I remember fighting for that. I remember getting to my knees and fighting to get up. And, and then my next memory is, is of, of the sound of my boots walking on a gravel road. And I find myself walking out of the woods, taking a look around, noticing my left arm is black and charred and, and burnt. I walk downhill to go find help and, and I do. I find a gentleman working outside of his home, three miles down from where the injury was.
0: While you were in the hospital dealing with the trauma from this electrocution, this terrible injury, you know, facing loss of your arm, you were also diagnosed with stage two cancer, testicular cancer.
2: There's so many little lessons, and this is what I've found to be the joy and the purpose and power of sharing exactly who you are, exactly how it happened. 2007, I remember being in Saint-Tropez on the yacht right in like the last act of my yachting career, the last three years. And I had a pain in my groin and um, not really dissimilar to like other aches and pains, but Mm -hmm. noticeable enough that, you know, I read Lance Armstrong's book. I kind of am aware testicular cancer is a thing, but at the age of 27, I'd never had any health checks like that. And I just remember there was a doctor on board, actually one of the guests. And I tell the captain, I I'm in pain. I got to book a doctor's appointment and he connects me with the guest. The guest does a quick evaluation on me. And he says, uh, yeah, you know, how many hours a day are you working? I don't know, 16 to 18 average, you know, for months in a row. And yeah. he's like, you're working too hard. We're going to go out to dinner tonight, put some ice on it. And, and let's tell the captain to give the crew a night off. And I think I won. I'm like, great. Right. I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm a 27 year old man, you know? I'll have a free dinner instead. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And get the hell off the boat so we can hang out for a second and have a breather. And so then life goes on. But I noticed that every eight months I have a similar sensation in, in my groin. right? And so
1: then my injury happens. And one of my exit wounds, I had nine exit wounds around my body, my torso, my scalp, my elbows, my hands, um, and my groin. right? And like the, you know, You can't write a horror story um, to even include this stuff, you know. And I came out of a surgery where they removed my left testy because it was not savable from the injury. But, you know, the doctors are very pleased they could save the right one and put the purse back together. And, you know, we think you're going to be okay, Right. And so the doctors leave the room. My twin brother, you know, I have immediate family with me and my twin brother tries to console me. And typical macho male or, you know, strong man, I'm, I'm like, ah, I make a joke that I think I hope we can all laugh with. And I know this, you know, we're an open audience here, but I said, ah, that was always the small one. Good riddance, you know, right. <laughs> I'm like, eh, I don't need it. Right. And, and then I follow it up with the reality, which is, you know, that one always gave me trouble anyway. And my brother says, well, what are you talking about? I said, oh, there's this time at Saint-Tropez. And then you know, I, I, I kind of been telling myself I needed to get it looked at, but I never did. He leaves the room. He walks down the hallway. He finds the attending surgeon and says, hey, my brother just told me this story after you gave him the results. Struck me as kind of funny. I wanted to let you know the alarm bell gets sound. The flag goes up. The team goes back to the results. And now I've been in hospital for two weeks and now like, well, what is that? mass in his lower left abdomen right next to his spine. What's that round gray mass? We thought that was maybe swelling from the original injury fluids. And all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, he had issues in his testes. There's this mass right above his testes. So they biopsy the testy that was removed and sure enough, it comes back positive for testicular cancer. Would we have discovered that had it not been for my injury the truth is that I discovered it in 2007 and was yes. grateful to not deal with it, take yes. an ibuprofen and take the night off. Yes. It came back again annually for a couple of years in 2011. When I had my injury, it was on my radar as part of like the aging health list that I the to-do list. Right. So I don't beat it up for happening. I'm grateful to have discovered it when we did how we did.
0: And you're clear today. And it's definitely a uh, reminder. To lift into your bodies, people.
1: 100% okay. echo that.
0: That is the message in that. Now we are not attacking the cancer anymore. We are now attacking healing from this injury and the fact that you're left with uh, no left arm from the elbow pretty much down, right? Now we have to look at life and what it's going to look like with prosthetics and what the options are. Take me from from there.
1: Well, I have to preface it with my hospital stay of 50 some days was blessed with a couple convenient things. And, and which I'm very grateful for. One is a world-class support team professionally, the yeah. university of Utah. Number two would be a very caring family and group of loved ones that um, took care of me. I was able to recognize that I had a job to do in the hospital And my job was to show up positive, show up um, ready for whatever they needed me to do. You know, I was not going to kvetch and moan. I was going to give it. I was going to work as hard as everyone else did, even though I was in bandages. And sometimes I couldn't move my body. Sometimes I was completely bound. And yet with my eyes, I would just simply try to radiate. I'm here. I'm fighting. Thanks for fighting. Thanks for that 15-hour shift you're putting in. And so leaving the hospital was really scary. I felt quite safe there. I felt like I was, that's where I had to be. And so it's, it's almost a mini graduation that had to happen. And, 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 and then little by little over, I'd say over the next two years, you know, I went through the three months of chemotherapy, um, started getting back into living, working. And so the first two years after my injury was definitely a discovery of how, how to not be so scared to be myself anymore you know, I was pretty confident 30 year old. And um, so naturally, I think that was probably spearheaded by physical, the physical parts of our lives were the easiest for me. It was easy to figure out how to go hike again, how to go fly fish again, how to camp again, how to be outside, even how to cook was challenging. But I went to those things first. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that includes working with prosthetics that includes to your question, that includes the new implementation and tools of the trade. And, and I'd say I took to them immediately and quickly and realized what worked and what didn't work. And, mm-hmm. and probably year three was when I started to, recognize the need to work on the emotional, the psychological parts of recovery, parts of therapy and healing, you know, and and, and they continue to this day.
0: Eduardo did throw a Kickstarter in 2015. So the accident was 2011 and in 2015, because I want you all to go find it and watch it. um, He did use that Kickstarter to fund a documentary feature film about his experience. And the film is called Charged. Uh, Amazon Prime, Hulu, all those, you can find it. Please watch it. It is an incredible story and it will outline a lot more of the journey and struggle. And, you know, although Eduardo was right handed, he also was fitted with, you know, bionic um, hands. Touch Bionics is is a company, Advanced Arm Dynamics fits them. But you found chefing that you needed not something that was controlled by your forearm muscles and fancy, you really needed basics. And and you still to this day use what's a fundamental or simplistic, yeah, Mm -hmm. bionic arm, which is a hook. Yeah. Take a listen. Typical children's vitamins, they're basically candy in disguise that can be filled with up to two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other junk growing kids don't need. And that's why Haya was created. High achievable children's vitamins are formulated with the help of nutritional experts and pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. What I love is Hi is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. You get this cool bottle with your first order and then they send eco-friendly refills every month. HIA is a pediatrician-approved, superpowered chewable vitamin that fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body nourishment our kids need. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best selling children's vitamins, and you can receive fifty percent off your first order. To claim this deal, go to Hayahealth.com slash in my heart. This deal is not available on their regular website. So go to h i y a h e a l t h dot com slash in my heart and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Now, on to my show.
1: Yeah. So, was it hard
0: for you to turn down? Like, talk about that when you have to say, hey, this doesn't work for me, or was it empowering?
1: It was typical of all the, of, of life in the, in the sense that we think we need all of this. And, and I have my hands in front of me and I'm making this signal of big, like all of these things, right? And so when you're in the ICU and you're Googling how to wakeboard as an amputee, how to floss my teeth as an amputee, and you're just yes. trying to research how in the heck am I going to do all these things again with one hand? you know there there was some information out there i remember seeing another chef who's um a chef in england who was cooking with a bionic limb flesh tone and i remember watching him hold a saute pan with it and just being very wow just oh man look at him go you know like and and so I knew that I personally had a pocket wouldn't cover it. Insurance does not like to cover in the prosthetic world in a way that's really super supportive. So I start working with Advanced Art Dynamics in Portland, Oregon. They have offices around the U.S., but I work with their Portland office, and I they fit me with a body powered. So what I work on with now is a hook that opens, closes, rubber bands open and close it, and um, it's a carbon fiber socket that, it, which is sort of the the shoe if you will, that goes around my forearm that the hook attaches to. And that's what they fit me with. And, and it was through through chance and luck and fortune and giving of others, I have out, some outreach happens to me and I get put in touch with a veteran who has a shoebox of hands that he doesn't use, right? Imagine kind of like a horror story, but he has a shoebox of hands he doesn't use. And um, he gets in touch with me through the Challenge Athletes Foundation, a nonprofit that supports people with physical disabilities getting back into active lifestyle through sports. And so all of a sudden I end up with my own shoebox of hands and I'm super psyched about it. And right around the same time, Good Morning America has picked up my story in the news and they want to have me out to New York to do an in-studio cooking demo as the Bionic Chef, which was the headline of a People magazine that kind of the news ran with. In 2013, so there I am. I'm on, Heather, I'm on live. You've done television, and you just you know this. I, the night before, I can't get the thing to charge. It won't charge. I'm in my I'm, I'm in wherever all these studios are in Manhattan because I don't live there, so I don't know. But there's hotels they like to put people, and I'm in my hotel, and it won't charge. And I know it's got two bars of ten. Thinking, oh, this isn't good. So I end up on live TV. They really want to feature the hand and the technology. Battery dies on live TV. It's live. You know, I'm cooking French toast. And if anyone goes back to, wants to YouTube it, you know, Eduardo Garcia, good morning, America. And you'll notice that my hand, my left hand, my bionic hand at some point towards the back half of the session is frozen. in this super weird contorted grip is because the battery died. And so now I'm just left with a super macabre like club on my hand. I can't do anything functional with. I just swore it off there. And then I just said, you know what? I never will that happen to me again. And I went from the very expensive electronic prosthetic that did fail me at that time. And I, it was probably just a fluke. Listen, there's probably sure. plenty of individuals who will listen that find all the benefits that a bionic limb are supposed to give an individual with a disability to have a able, capable life. For me, not only did I have that experience, but the truth is is that I work on a farm here in my home in Montana with my wife. I live a very active outdoor existence and I'm a chef which involves moving parts sharp hot water and the prosthetic that I had was not waterproof and so I just said I need to go back to the basics I need a four-wheel drive truck okay if I drive a truck at home my hand needs to be a four-wheel drive truck and so that's why I still work with with this prosthetic I've fixed this on mountains on ski hills in kitchens with everything from dental floss to duct tape to super glue and um
0: And it's still kicking. After going through all the things that you went through, your spiritual connection was that much greater. Your connection to self was that much greater. Your connection and love for the outdoors and your connectivity to the earth and the ingredients that you use in the food and the way you touch people through the food, all of that never went away, but came back 10,000 times stronger.
1: You know what my twin brother would say, Heather? He would say... um, he said, "It's just not fair, man." He wouldn't say fair, but he would say, "You know, not 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 only did your hair come back even fuller and darker, <laughs> but you got a facelift out of the deal because I had a scalp injury, right? So I had plastic surgery, lifted my whole my whole right. forehead, and um, so we we learned early on as a family to celebrate the wins, to celebrate the losses, yes. right? Because it's all life, it's all living, and to find humor in all of it, and um, and so really." I'd say that my natural sense of determination and my natural desire to accomplish and to do for better or for worse um, really propelled me to just hit the ground running as soon as I could, which is no different than how I was born. I think my mom would. If mom, if you're listening, I think she would she would agree that as a young child, I was you know it's not I'm not saying I was reading before someone else or walking before you know the national average. I'm I'm talking about my my mom's memory of me was being all over the show, up on top of things, under things, within things, and so I feel like that natural mover and shaker was probably part of what got me off the forest floor in the first place. It's probably what. Helped me look at every every other part of my life that's been challenging and just say, well, what's where's the adventure in this challenge? Where's the you know um, we're gonna do this? So if we're gonna do this, let's make sure to pack the lunch we want. Let's make sure to get after this in the way we want um, if we can. Sometimes we don't have any choice but simply to flourish and survive and do our best. Um, but I do, but I do recall that it wasn't all chocolate mints and roses. It was. There was pain. Yeah, no, I was angry. You know, I've always sort of had a a temper and, you know, coming out of ICU, I was angry. I was upset. I was sad. I was hurt physically in pain every day. And um, so it wasn't all perfect, you know, and yet my interest to reclaim and rebuild and rediscover and use these challenges. Okay, how am I going to, you know, in a way, you can see it as a gift. You can see it as the worst thing that's ever happened to you.
0: You're a storyteller. I mean, you have been, and it's, you know, as a public speaker, you know, this is enriches, you know, what you can offer to other people, you know, your own experiences and loving to cook, you know, for people, with people, really, you know, not executive chefing for a private client anymore, but, you know, what I see you do is bring, you know, like, you know, gaggles of people together, connecting them, you know, with your food and inspiring them with your story and your work in the kitchen. You just finished the pilot, and not at some chumpy network either, Chip and Joanna Gaines' network, hello, okay, at Magnolia. You know, getting people to go beyond their comfort levels, right? I mean, that's really what your story and many stories of overcoming are about you know being uncomfortable and embracing it
1: embracing and loving really hard on it it's 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 saying if i smell it taste it feel it it is it is then it is therefore if this is my life that we can call a mistake and that we can call an injury and a tragedy and that we can call an error but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a naturally born positive value yeah we allocate it in the right way. Right. And so, you know, a documentary award-winning documentary film that's now available in seven different languages in 20 different countries. That wasn't part of my blueprint, but at some point I realized through the contribution of many different people, many different individuals with care and, um, and interest in their own lives as it collaborates with mine, like, Hey, this documentary would help a lot of people see a light at the end of the tunnel. You sure you don't want to do this? I was like, I don't want the limelight. I don't want to deal with it. And the truth was I really wasn't in ownership of the fact that this happened to me. I was just trying to relearn all those physical abilities so that I could just be the fisherman again and be, you'd be the cook and be the friend and be the, you know, be the business owner. And, and yet the psychological, emotional changes that, I really had to put myself through and embrace, brought a sense of ownership to my life that was not present in my first few years. Check out Charged if you you can, if you're listening and you're interested because Charged was not supposed to happen, right? I said no to the documentary for three years. And finally I realized it was actually my surgeon that was the surgeon that saved my life who I feel challenged me Years after my discharge, he looked at me, lifted my shirt up, he looked at my scars, he wanted to see how I'd healed. He had minutes before he had to get back to his critical, you know, work day. And, and he just challenged me. He said, It's so good to see you. You need to come around more often. And what I felt and heard was every the the pain of every loss they've experienced on the table. For everyone, they could not save him and his team. And so then the request to come around more often came from someone that also needed the support. For as much as we turn to our doctors and our medical team and our providers, that same aha moment that I subconsciously had in ICU where I'm on the team, I got to contribute. He challenged me and changed my perspective and and challenged my selfishness of, no, I don't want to go out and be exposed to people and tell my story about all these things because there's going to be some dirt that comes up and it's going to be messy and not pretty. He kind of challenged me that I could support him and his team by potentially producing something, a story, a book, a documentary that could then be a tool that supports him When all the pumps and all the machines and all the technology is not saving a life, potentially it's because that person's given up. And so given how I came through my injuries, he was saying, hey, you have the opportunity to help everyone in the room right here next to me that I'm going to go work on, not give up because we lose a lot of people because they give up. Right. And so that's the purpose of charge. That's why it's out there. And so the work with Chip and Joanna Gaines, the work with the Magnolia network is an opportunity to create a space for you all listening and even myself to be privy to more stories like myself with me as a supporting driver Food is a language that is one of my main connection points with the world at large. It has lifted me up through the ashes and it has allowed me to enter doors that otherwise would be closed. And so food is a language. And so really through a shared meal, we get to meet other individuals who have gone through gone through it. And we now get the opportunity through this show concept to share, well, how did they do it? And the goal is just that by adding shining that light on other individuals, we may gather and accrue enough perspective so that we all have more to believe in, in ourselves, in others, by just simply having another viewpoint, right? Helping each other out. And that's kind of what the concept is.
0: One of the things that I want to talk to you about um, that's important, and we talk about regeneration, and I know how important agriculture is to you, regenerative farming, now that's mm-hmm. something that I've been leaning into, and I just want to um, talk about it for one second because sustainability has been a buzzword for a really long time, and it's really not the right buzzword. Because if we just sustain, we're going to fall off the earth. We're not. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, sustaining where we are right now in terms of, you know, global warming and you know, our environment and all of these, you know, crucial markers that we're seeing, you know, click off in red. Sustainability isn't enough. It's we need to regenerate.
2: You know, I was burning out on cooking um, professionally, which is why we founded Montana Max. We we wanted to. I had this desire to share my joy of cooking with more than just those that were on the boat every day, and so creating a clean label line of organic sauces and seasonings was a natural way to say, hey. I don't want to create a ready-made product because I want you, the consumer, you know, out there to, I should just say my community to be empowered with cooking. That was a very important thing for me because I just spent a career just cooking for others. What I found is that I've turned into a small scale, I'm not gonna say farmer, but we, you know, I every single day I tend to the three acres that I have here in Montana that I live on. And we have, my wife and I have bees and um, some small birds, chickens and ducks. I made it a lot harder on myself by looking deeper into the food journey. Usually chefs will get a box and I'm all due respect. I'm largely stereotyping my experience as a chef during my twenties was make the order. It shows up sweet, start creating. And that was chefing, but you burn out on that. And so Growing food has become this whole new challenge and this whole new level of interest by really investing my time and energy into this starting in 2014 into how to grow food. It's brought me to the health of the soil. It's brought me to what it means to live a regenerative existence. I'm a people person that loves supporting the world around me all of the world around me, whether it's
1: the plants I get to nurture outside or a chicken that needs nursing or a dog that that I know wants to go on a walk and all right, let's go, I got you. And so regenerative farming, regenerative um, agriculture, there's this really beautiful thing happening and stay tuned.
0: It's silly for me to even ask you how you find your freedoms because I can answer this question 10,000 fold, (laughs) but just give it to us in a one-liner.
1: My freedom today is found by going to bed, surrounded in gratitude for being able to rest my head, close my eyes, and basically let my guard down and disappear into my subconscious dream state, followed by, preceded by, in the same circle with my approach to the day, which is, here we are, I respect, I love, I'm grateful for all that I am everything that is around me. And now let's go get the best there is to have to, to be had today. And when your day ends, whenever it ends, the gratitude for all that occurred, right? The scrapes, the bruises, the breakups, the missed takes all the stuff, because it contributes to who we are and to not recognize those moments would be leaving a lot on the table
0: Before we go, for those people who don't follow you or don't know where they can find you, tell them where they can find you.
1: If you want to cook with me, go to montanamex.com. And that's where the products that we share with the world live. They're made to inspire you to play and um, cook with love and really create based on some starting principles and some really tasty products. If you join me on Instagram, just know that if you get anything, it's a hundred percent me and I manage it myself. And I take a lot of joy in sharing that part of myself with the world. And, uh, and then charged film, chargefilm.com, You can go to Amazon or Hulu. And, um, and, and I would just say then my ask in that type of a open access, here's where you can find me is stay in touch, right? Because I'm here for you, Heather, And I'm here for you because I believe in what you do and you bring this entire community to me today. And so my request is that we all stay connected and we support each other and we toss this ball back and forth. Um, I do my best to respond to every inquiry I get and it matters to me. It makes it real. So um, I look forward to staying in touch with everybody.
0: Yes, and we surely look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you so much to my friend and guest, Eduardo Garcia. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along, and I am Heather T. And don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. The sun is shining on my face right now after my episode with you. So bright I can't even see. Thank you, Eduardo Garcia. I love you. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks.